0: Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnet, Illinois. Thank you, Proclamation Ensemble, and thank you, Marvin Jones. We've been to church today, haven't we? have been to church today. I want to say at the beginning, if Thomas was a doubter, well, then so was everybody else. So I want to begin. We know this story that we read a minute ago, or at least we think we know the story. This is the story of how much harder it was for Thomas to believe than any of the other disciples because it was Thomas who said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Which has resulted in poor Thomas being forever caricatured as a doubter, right? We say doubting Thomas. We don't say doubting Peter. We don't say doubting Mary. We say Doubting Thomas, that name is exclusively reserved for Thomas, for evidently all of time. Well, so name a disciple who, that first week of Jesus' resurrection, name a disciple who believed without seeing, seeing either the empty tomb or Jesus himself, name a disciple who believed without seeing Frankly, even those who saw the empty tomb, most of them didn't conclude first of all that Jesus had been raised from the dead. No, most of those who saw the empty tomb, their first conclusion was that Jesus' body had been stolen. So a few of those who saw the empty tomb didn't believe even based on that evidence. I mean, name a disciple that believed without first seeing either the empty tomb or Jesus. And a few of them even saw Jesus, looked at his face, talked with him, and still didn't believe that he had been raised from the dead. Name a disciple who believed without seeing. These are really interesting resurrection stories. They, none of them really commend any of the disciples for their faith. I mean, for example, in the Gospel of John, in the verses right before the ones we read this morning, is the story of Mary Magdalene, who was one of the first who went to the tomb and who saw the stone removed. And when she saw the tomb empty, she turned around and ran to tell Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we know is John. But she didn't say to them after she saw the empty tomb, she didn't say, hey, I think Jesus has been raised from the dead. The tomb is empty. It's not what she said. No, her conclusion was that the body had been taken because here's what she said after seeing the empty tomb. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. That's what she said to Peter and John. She didn't believe after she saw the empty tomb. For the record, Peter and John didn't immediately conclude that Jesus had been raised from the dead either. Not yet. I mean, we we can't Even be sure that they believed what Mary said, that the body wasn't there. Because they ran to the tomb to see for themselves. Indeed, raced each other to see which of them could confirm Mary's report first. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I have no idea why that detail is in the text. Uh, Maybe some of you New Testament scholars can tell me why that detail is in the text, but John wanted us to know that he could run faster than Peter, evidently. And Peter's probably going, John, really, really, this is what you had to write? So they raced to the tomb to see if what Mary said was true. So we're not sure they even believed the tomb was empty. Now, it is true that John reported that when he saw the empty tomb, he believed. Because in the gospel he wrote, not only did he report that he could run Peter, he also wrote about himself in John 28. He saw and believed. So the only disciple that we know for certain believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead without seeing Jesus himself was John. But we need to be clear, even he didn't believe without seeing because this is what he wrote about himself in John 20, verse eight. He saw and believed. And then he wrote honestly about himself and Peter. They still did not understand from scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So Thomas' declaration, which has forever branded him as a doubter, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe, that is not qualitatively different than what John wrote about himself in John 20, verse 8. He saw and believed. So maybe it should be doubting John and doubting Peter, who both had to see to believe. I mean, name a disciple who believed without seeing. In the same story from John 20, we can read about Mary, who remained in the garden after John and Peter left, weeping outside the tomb. John tells us that two angels at the tomb asked Mary why, why why she was crying. And she said to them what she said to Peter and John, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. And then John wrote, At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. So she saw the empty tomb and then saw Jesus himself standing there. And so Jesus did what the angels did. He asked her why she was crying, and this is what happened next, thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. So she saw the empty tomb, even saw Jesus himself, but only believed after she heard him say her name, Mary. So maybe it should be doubting Mary, because she didn't believe until she heard him speak. Name a disciple who believed without seeing. And then, of course, in Luke's gospel, we have the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and some of you are already thinking there. One of them was named Cleopas. That's the only name we know of those two disciples. And they were talking about all that had happened that day when Jesus himself came up and walked with them. And innocently asked them, what were you two discussing as you walked along, said Jesus. So they told Jesus about Jesus. And told Jesus that they had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, but that he'd been crucified. And what's more, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen angels who said he was alive. So these two disciples told Jesus about what had happened to him that day. So Jesus did what? Spent half a day with them, I don't know, telling them from scripture about himself. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So they told Jesus about Jesus without knowing it was him. And Jesus told them about him without them knowing it was him. I mean, don't you love that story? That's just such a great story. Jesus had to have been having a little bit of fun that day. So when did these two finally recognize that it was Jesus? When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So maybe it should be doubting Cleopas and doubting whoever the other disciple was. Because they didn't believe when they saw him. They didn't believe after listening to him. They didn't believe until he ate with them, until he broke bread with them as he had four days before. Name a disciple who believed without seeing. And Luke reports straight up that none of the disciples believed the women who came back and reported an empty tomb and what the angels said, but they did not believe the women. The disciples did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. None of the disciples believed. So that when Jesus did show up that first Sunday evening in that upper room, do you know what he did? On the evening of the first day of the week, Sunday. When the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So Thomas' declaration, which has forever branded him as a doubter, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That is not qualitatively different than what John reported happened that first Easter Sunday. He showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So maybe it should be in addition to doubting Thomas and doubting Peter and doubting John and doubting Mary and doubting Clopas and doubting whoever was with Cleopas, Maybe it should also be doubting Andrew and doubting James and doubting Philip and doubting Bartholomew and doubting Matthew and doubting James, son of Alphaeus and doubting Simon the zealot and doubting Thaddeus. Name a disciple who believed without seeing. Now granted, Thomas was the only disciple to whom Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. But for sure, Thomas was not the only one while stop doubting and believe may have been addressed to Thomas, I'm thinking Jesus just might have been talking to all of them. Stop doubting and believe. Because none of them believed without seeing. And some of them didn't even believe then. Name a disciple who believed without seeing. The only reason it took Thomas a week longer was because he skipped the gathering on the first Easter Sunday the week before. Thomas' mistake may have simply consisted in not being with the other disciples on the day of Jesus' resurrection when Jesus first showed up. It's a lot harder to believe when you're all by yourself. It's a lot harder to believe when you're not with other believers It's a lot harder to believe when you're not in a place where Jesus just might show up. Which leads me to say this morning I don't think this passage, John 20, 19 through 31, about Thomas is first of all about Thomas' doubt. Because he wasn't distinguishable from any of the other disciples in that regard. Now, what I'm thinking is that this passage, John 20, 19 through 31, is first of all about Jesus' faithfulness to doubting disciples. I mean, did you notice Jesus' patience in all of this? Before he was crucified, he had told his disciples over and over again that he was going to be raised from the dead. Now, granted, that would have been hard to believe and doubly hard to believe after witnessing the gruesome crucifixion, for sure. But still, Jesus told them he was not going to stay dead. So couldn't a first conclusion to an empty tomb, in light of Jesus having spoken of it so often, couldn't a disciple's reasonable first conclusion to an empty tomb be, he has risen instead of they've taken his body? But none of them, the record says, believed without seeing first. Even John saw and believed. But Jesus was so kind to all of those doubting disciples. Mary saw the empty tomb, looked at Jesus in the face, thought he was the gardener, and so Jesus said her name, Mary. And those two disciples on the road to Emmaus walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus for how many hours? And Jesus did a Bible study with them and then broke bread as he had done four days before, served them a meal on the Lord's day. And he willingly, voluntarily showed all the disciples, except for Thomas, who wasn't there that first Sunday, he willingly, voluntarily showed all the disciples the wounds he received on the cross. And then Jesus did for Thomas what he had done for all of the disciples the week before. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus was so kind. Jesus was so gracious. Do you think he ever got tired of telling people he had been raised from the dead? I mean, how many times did he have to show himself to people before they believed? I mean, it had to be a bit tedious, didn't it? But he was so kind, he was so gracious, gracious, he kept showing up until they believed. So I've said all of that to say this. I don't think this passage is, first of all, about Thomas' doubt. I think this passage is about Jesus' faithfulness to doubting disciples. It's not about doubting Thomas. It's about faithful Jesus. It's about Jesus being willing to reveal himself to us again and again and again until we believe. It's not about doubting Thomas. It's about faithful Jesus. And guess what? He's still revealing himself to doubting disciples. And guess what? He still comes to us. He comes to us just as he did to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He comes to us in the breaking of bread. He comes to us in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that he insisted we receive. This is not about doubting Thomas. This is about faithful Jesus. Let's pray. No, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your persistent faithfulness, your persistent, faithful faithfulness to us. Lord, uh, we do not have the faith we need. And Lord, sometimes we do doubt. Uh, It just sometimes feels like this news is too good to be true. That you would receive us, that you would accept us, that you would forgive us, that you would cleanse us. Lord, we just want to thank you for your faithfulness, for your patient, persistent faithfulness to us. And thank you for coming to us again and still. Thank you for providing us a meal which, in which you break the bread. Thank you for inviting us to your table so that we might be with you. So Lord, come to us today, come to us even now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord is with us. We lift up our hearts. We give him praise and thanksgiving. And this is a very simple invitation. This is Christ's table. We are his guests. Would you share the sacrament with those around you? Would you? Did you share this meal as Jesus is sharing it with you? All are welcome to receive it. You don't have to be a Nazarene, a part of this church. You just have to confess Jesus is Lord. And if this is the first morning you would ever confess that, you are also welcome at this table, maybe even for the first time. So come to the table, you who have been here often. You're welcome here. And come, you who may have not been in a long time. You're welcome here. And come, you who have tried to follow Jesus and have failed. You're welcome here. And come, you who are filled with doubt and uncertainty. You are welcome here. This is a table of grace for you. In the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, Holy God, we gather at your table in the name of your Son, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor and proclaim release to the captives and set at liberty those who were oppressed. Jesus, you healed the sick, you fed the hungry, you ate with sinners, and you established this covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And you're coming again. And we're gathered today together, as your church has always done, to receive you in the bread and juice. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us? By your Spirit, make us one with you, one with each other, and one in the ministry that you initiated to all the world until you come again. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. The body of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, may it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life eaten, this in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, may it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life take and drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you and let us be grateful and so Lord as you gave thanks before you broke the bread and drank from the cups, so Lord we give you thanks today for your goodness to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnet, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.